We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 12 days out. Each day we'll be breaking down one aspect of the Super Bowl as we get jacked up for the two teams to meet down in Miami. And with that, our poll question this morning is this. At RDC, home and home. Does the 49ers getting to the Super Bowl without having an elite QB give you hope for your team next year? The argument goes, hell, if the Niners can just hand it off every time, the Packers knowing what was coming and reach the Super Bowl, can that model be expanded on? Should you feel good if your team has a, an average or slightly better than average quarterback and feel like you too can win a Super Bowl? Because Jimmy Garoppolo threw it all of eight times, of course, in the NFC Championship game, six of eight, eight times to get to the Super Bowl. So how are you feeling this morning, honestly? Now that the attention has subsided, now that you're home alone, maybe you're talking to your agent, maybe you're talking to your friends, do you feel every bit as good about reaching the Super Bowl with eight passes as you would if you reached the Super Bowl going 25 of 30 for 300 yards and three touchdowns? I don't know. I think I'm feeling not as good as if I carried my team to the Super Bowl, but I'm young, I'm rich. I'm good looking. I can have anybody I want. I'm one game of winning, uh, one game away from winning the Super Bowl, and I know we can't do it without me throwing 15 to 20 times to win that game. I'm feeling just fine. No, I'm feeling outstanding. I don't give a damn how many times I threw it. I'm feeling awfully good this morning if I'm Jimmy G and you, Ross. Yeah, you know, uh, I, look, he's feeling great, and I think he witnessed in New England how much winning and success matters and how that trumped everything for Tom Brady and that no matter what you care about with stats and you want to throw the ball and throw touchdowns, I think he realized in New England, and I'm not sure every other quarterback would have this perspective, but that winning really does trump everything. And that as long as you're winning, people will be giving you kudos and credit no matter how much you throw the ball. Do I think he wishes he threw it a little bit more? Absolutely. Is he maybe is he maybe wondering a little bit if Kyle Shanahan lost some faith in him after the interception to Eric Kendricks? Maybe a little bit. I think I think he's so confident that he probably thinks we're just running over them with running the football. Why not keep doing it? Um, but I don't know how you don't a little bit, Dave, when you're a quarterback who doesn't throw a pass for an hour and a half. I don't know how you're a little bit don't start to think like, you know, it'd be nice if I could throw one every once in a while here and feel like I'm contributing more to us winning. Ultimately, I'm sure he feels fine. But I don't think he'd be human 
if there wasn't a little part of him that felt like it would be nice to have been a more significant contributor to the last two wins. I'm feeling like I got a $28 million uh, haul this year and I have a $137 million contract and I can do anything I want at any moment. I just want to be part of a winning team. I don't have to be the reason we are on top. And where is our poll right now? 59% of you say no. Jimmy Garoppolo reaching the Super Bowl does not give me faith that my team can reach a Super Bowl with a slightly above average quarterback. I agree with that. I'm a Bronco fan. I think Drew Locke might have some next level talent two, three years down the road. But not only is Patrick Mahomes in my division, I don't believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is just average. I think he's better than we are giving him credit for. So I think if I'm the Chicago Bears and I have Mitch Trubisky, I do think you should be able to reach a Super Bowl with Mitch Trubisky. I do. I don't think he's very good, but given the defense they had last year, if they had an elite offensive line, a Kyle Shanahan system, and an elite running back, they didn't have any of those things last year. I do think that's a team with a defense producing like that is capable of winning the Super Bowl. But here's Jimmy Garoppolo. When they've needed him to win a game this season, he has done exactly that. He's done it four times. One was against Cincinnati, two were against Arizona, and one was against the New Orleans Saints. Jimmy Garoppolo averaged 346 yards in those four wins in which he had to be the man to win a football game, and he also threw 15 touchdowns in those four games to put his team on his shoulders, and win a game when he has to. And I think that's what he's going to have to do in the Super Bowl, Ross. Yeah, you know, I think that the Niners can and should give teams hope. Any fan base hope. Dude, would they have four straight 10 lost seasons? Are you kidding me? Four straight 10-plus lost seasons. That's unbelievable. To go right from that, including 4-12 and 12 last year, to the Super Bowl? So that should give Niner, uh, non-Niners fans hope right there. Then, if you are a team that doesn't have an elite quarterback, which is most of them, you should also get some hope from this Niners team. I mean, look, having Patrick Mahomes, Dave, that's like, that's like winning the lottery, right? You draft a quarterback at 11 that people weren't sure on. The Bears passed on. He turns out to be an all-timer in terms of talent and has a chance to be an all-time great and have an all-time great career. But that's kind of like winning the lottery. I think if you're a fan of the Bears or the Buffalo Bills or I feel like we can go right down the line almost, Cleveland Browns, you could look at it and say, you know what? I think our quarterback could play as well as Jimmy did. We need to run the ball better. Browns ran it pretty well. Bills ran it pretty well. We need to have a dominant D-line. Bills' D-line was pretty good. They got one more dude to go with Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips, Jerry Hughes. Browns' D-line, pretty good. Miles Garrett, Larry Joby, get one more guy to go with them. I think that the Niners are like an attainable goal. I think a lot of teams can get hope 
and derive optimism for next year from the Niners. But it's interesting, Dave, because you look at some of the responses from people. And we, by the way, for those of you who listen later on demand, we love interaction with you guys on social media. So make sure you're following the show at RDC Home and Home. Dave's at Dave Briggs TV. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. And then when we post the poll, reply to it. Vote. Here's what Randall Kennedy said, Dave. He said, without an elite quarterback, LOL. I'd bet any team would kill for their quarterback to have a win percentage of 81%. People forget that Jimmy GQ has started just 26 games in his career. F-O-H with this nonsense, which I think means fart out of here. Um, (laughs) Here's the thing I would say to Randall. Hey, Randall. It's a simple question. Do you think Jimmy G's an elite quarterback? No, you don't. Thanks for playing. Er, He's not an elite quarterback. So, like, that's a cool response, Randall. But he's not an elite quarterback. Dan Huffnagel says they are sure paying him like an elite quarterback. And that's true. Um, Take Flight Jets says you don't need an elite quarterback. You just need a good one. Goff, Flacco, Foles, Jimmy G. And Eli aren't elite, but still good enough to get there and even win it at times. Peyton wasn't elite in his last year. I wouldn't even say Brady was elite last year, but still good enough. Um, Kane says he's pretty elite at winning games. So a lot of people chiming in. Christopher Zimmerman says, I consider Jimmy G to be an elite quarterback. If Jimmy G is an elite quarterback, how many elite quarterbacks are there then? There is no question that he is not an elite quarterback, but is he the PFF grade on Jimmy Garoppolo this season was 13. I would put him exactly where that PFF grade has him in terms of where he falls in this league in the top 15, which is better than average, slightly better than average. Um, So yes, I think you made a compelling case that if you are a team And I think the Cleveland Browns are one of those few teams like the Cleveland Browns have to take hope, have to get hope from this situation because Baker Mayfield is every bit as talented as Jimmy Garoppolo, if not more talented. They've got an elite running back in Nick Chubb and a guy behind him in Kareem Hunt that's also a Pro Bowl talent caliber. You've got Pro Bowl studs at the wide receiver position and a talented defense. So, yes, if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan and I've got Kevin Stefanski, a guy that knows how to execute the running game, yeah, this does. This does give me hope. It doesn't as a Bronco fan, though. It doesn't as a Bronco fan, and maybe that's because Patrick Mahomes is in my division. And I know that there's no way we're going to get by him with a slightly better-than-average quarterback. So I guess it depends upon your division and your situation, ultimately. Yeah, I I think that's fair, uh, but it still should give people hope. I mean, everything about it should give people hope. I don't know why. Isn't it weird, Dave, that, like— and we talked about this uh, recently, but isn't it weird that like Niners fans take offense to that? Like, how about just be happy your team's in the Super Bowl? No, literally nobody thinks he's an elite quarterback other than uh, 
Christopher Zimmerman, who responded to the, the tweet. The only person I know that thinks Jimmy Garoppolo is an elite, he's a good quarterback. Be happy you have a good quarterback. Maybe he keeps getting better. He's only started like 26 games. Maybe he becomes an elite quarterback. But he's not right now. And that's the whole point. That's what we're trying to say here. That's what we're trying to talk about. And I think he should give teams hope. I don't think Mahomes gives anybody hope. I mean, I mean, maybe Mahomes gives Bengals fans hope that maybe Joe Burrow can be like Patrick Mahomes. Maybe Mahomes gives Dolphins fans hope that maybe if they are able to draft Tua, Tua can be like Mahomes. I don't know. But I don't think he gives any other teams that already have quarterbacks that are never going to be like Mahomes hope. Well, who who do you have as elite? So let's name the obvious. Russell Wilson, elite. Breeze, Mahomes. I think you have to, at this point, throw Lamar Jackson in the conversation. Is Aaron Rodgers still elite? I do believe Matt Stafford I would still put in the elite category. He was having a terrific season before his injury. And, of course, Deshaun Watson. Tom Brady no longer qualifies for that category. Who else do you have in that that uh, that company? I don't think there are that many elite quarterbacks. Okay. Uh, a select elite. The definition of elite is a select group that is superior in terms of abilities or qualities to the rest of a group or society. I mean, if there's 32 quarterbacks, then if you are the 15th, 16th, 17th quarterbacks, you are average. So 15th, 16th, 17th is average. Then at least a good chunk of them above that are above average. I think elite is like five, maybe six at most. If we're really talking elite. So I think you're talking Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, I would still put Drew Brees in that category based on how he played this year. I would not put Aaron Rodgers in that category based on how he played this year. I would not put Tom Brady in that category. I would not put Carson Wentz in that category. I think Deshaun Watson is probably about the tipping point for me. I don't know if Deshaun Watson, he he's close. Deshaun Watson's probably the tough one for me if we really – if we really went through it, he would be kind of the tipping point guy for me, I think. I put Watson in. What do you have? What about Stafford? What about Matt Ryan? No and no. No and no. They are very hmm. good quarterbacks. They are above average quarterbacks. They are not elite quarterbacks. It'll be interesting when we look back on this Super Bowl in terms of how much is Jimmy Garoppolo even remembered? Because I don't think many people talk about Bob Greasy with the greatest team in the history of the game, the 1973 Dolphins, who went undefeated. Do you know how many passes Bob Greasy threw in that Super Bowl to win? Six. He was 8 of 11 for 88 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo wins with that type of performance. I think he's going to need to throw it north of 20 times. I can't imagine Andy Reid, Steve Spagnola, that defense is going to allow a just punch-in-the-face, dominant ground game type effort. I think they're going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball. But who knows, with that offensive line, 
Who knows how much he'll have to do. Do you think Garoppolo can win with a similar performance as the NFC title game? Yeah, I think he can. Um, I, I think he can. Now, I think he'll probably have to do a little bit more. But I think the Niners are going to try to run the ball down the Chiefs' throat. And I think they're going to have a decent chance to do exactly that. That running game, you think about the second half of the Vikings game, you think about the whole Packers game, the running game right now in San Francisco is unstoppable because it's so multiple, because of the stuff they do with Debo Samuel on the reverses, because they throw it just enough that you can't totally sell out on the run, and because George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk are movable chess pieces that let me just explain this to you, Dave. So most teams don't have a fullback. Most teams don't run it to the tight end. And so you're not used to practicing going up against a tight end at the point of attack, going up against a lead fullback at the point of attack. So those safeties, corners, sometimes outside backers, they're just not used to those run fits. They're not used to taking on those blocks. And those guys happen to be really, really good. And as a result, they're kicking some serious ass on the edge, which is why the Packers couldn't couldn't set an edge to save their life. I mean, it was – I mean, Dave, being on the sideline, it felt like every run was going to go. Like the whole place was like, ah! oh, they tripped him up his ankle. Oh, oh they grabbed his foot. I mean, it was, it was like a high school game. It was crazy. Let's get into the game with Carrington Harrison Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Great to talk to you, Carrington. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. I want to ask you first, though, about Joe Montana straddling the fence, saying he guarantees his team will win the Super Bowl next to a picture of his Chiefs and Niners jerseys. Okay, you probably like this. Would you hate it if you were a Niners fan? I understand why Joe Montana is doing this, but Joe Montana is not a Kansas City Chief. He's a San Francisco 49ers. He's as much of a Chief as Brett Favre is a member of the New York Jets or the Minnesota Vikings. All his memories are tied up into playing for San Francisco. Sure, he had a couple of memories in Kansas City that were good, but they did not go to the Super Bowl. He didn't want to ring in Kansas City. Joe Montana is probably one of the five best quarterbacks of all time as a San Francisco 49er. That's his team. All right, so here's my question, though. Do you guys claim him? Do people in Kansas City claim him? Because last year for the AFC Championship game, he was there. And it does feel like the Chiefs on some level claim him as being part theirs. I don't know if I would say claim. I would say appreciate. You have to think about it. If you had the lack of playoff success that the Chiefs did, and Joe Montana was the last quarterback to win a playoff game for you before Alex Smith in 2017, you would claim Joe Montana too. So I think it was more of anything. The Chiefs didn't really have a playoff legacy for about 20 years after Joe Montana, so Kansas Cityans latched on to the one win that they did have, and it came from Joe Montana. All right, fair enough. Another piece of news I want to ask you about, and shocking news to me that the AFC Championship game the lowest rated since 2009, the numbers down considerably from last year's New England-Kansas City game. What do you make of that? This is one of those things that I think America always says how much we want new and different teams until we get new and different teams. 
The reason last year's <laughs> AFC Championship game was so highly rated is you had a player in Patrick Mahomes, but then he was also going up against Tom Brady and the Patriots. And the Patriots had elevated to a point where you either want to see them win and you're a fan, or you absolutely hate them and you want them to lose. I was kind of having this conversation yesterday on my timeline about college basketball because everybody's like, oh, this is good. You know, we don't have Duke dominating. We don't have Kentucky dominating or North Carolina. But you're not watching Florida State play basketball either or Seton Hall play basketball. Like, we just love to say that we want new and different until it's time to actually watch new and different, and then we typically do something else. So let's let's dive into the game itself, Carrington, because I got a couple questions for you. First of all, I know you said against the Texans that you weren't that nervous. You still kept the faith. With the Titans this week, when it was 10-0 or 17-7, what was your level of concern? I wasn't incredibly worried because I do think we've seen these two things be the case, Patrick Mahomes, that they've scored 40, or excuse me, 31 points in every game that he's been the quarterback in in the playoffs, so they were at least going to get to 30. And we've seen now in three consecutive games they get down double digits and come back to win. Last year's AFC Championship game, the game against Houston, and then a couple days ago in the AFC Championship game against Tennessee. So I would say that we've reached the point where you at least have to check those two boxes if you're playing against the Chiefs. And as well as Tennessee was playing, I didn't think that Tannehill was going to play at that level the whole time. Now, I also say I didn't know that Derrick Henry, after it became 17-7, would, would then basically be a non-factor for the rest of the game. In the second half, Derrick Henry had three carries. That's just not a formula in which Tennessee can win. And I would say I probably reached the same point where everybody else is. Whenever Mahomes had that run for the touchdown, at that point I knew the game was over and that Kansas City was not about to lose in the second half. So I would say I was certainly more worried in the game against Houston because the deficit was bigger. But Tennessee, I thought, I thought they were going to commit and, then, and, and, and stick to the run more than what they did. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions is just what you thought of the Titans' plan, whether it was – getting away from the run on offense or defensively. How many times, Carrington, did it seem like they only rushed three and Mahomes had like 10 Mississippi before he had to throw the ball? Their game plan, I thought, in the beginning was a little, I don't know weird is the correct term, but I think they were anticipating Kansas City putting so much resources in trying to stop Derrick Henry that they were trying to stop, uh, establish the play action. If you remember, they came out on their first drive, had that big play pass to A.J. Brown to kind of get him involved. Adam Humphreys had a couple of key third-down conversions. It seemed like they wanted to kind of establish the play action. But the biggest part of the play action is, at some point, you have to hand the ball off. And I thought that there was one stretch in the game where I thought Kansas City kind of imposed their will on Tennessee. And I wasn't sure that they could do so. Tennessee had a had a second and one. They ran the ball with Henry. Mike Pinnell, a Chiefs defensive lineman, stopped him. They then ran it again on third and one. Mike Pinnell stopped him again, and then they called a legal formation, which then made it third and 11. I thought that sequence right there kind of showed Tennessee that Kansas City wasn't going to get pushed around in this game. And, and, and it seemed like after that point, Tennessee didn't run the ball nearly as effectively or as often. Talking to Carrington Harrison, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City, always available on the radio.com app. Any moment now, Carrington. Frank Clark's going to be mouthing off about Raheem Mostert is not a very good running back. He's a system guy that we can stop him easily. Does it give you added faith in this matchup having shut down arguably the game's best back? Do you think this is the perfect matchup for Kansas City? I don't think it's the perfect matchup for anybody. I think that these two teams 
are pretty evenly matched. Like whenever the line was about to get established, I said it would be probably Kansas City one, Kansas City minus two, just because I thought they would get the Mahomes advantage. But I think these two teams are fairly even. If you're going to tell me you're going to give Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan two weeks to prepare for the other team, I thought the over was incredibly low in this. I thought the over should have probably been closer to 55 and a half, 56 and a half. When I saw 52 and a half, I was really surprised to see that. I just think both of these offenses are going to figure out a way to score on the other team's defense. Shutting down Derrick Henry after a, after two months of 30-plus carries is a lot different, I think, than stopping that offensive line of San Francisco. And Shanahan's just going to have three or four plays kind of up his sleeve that I think are, are going to be big plays in this game. Um, A couple more for me, Carrington. One would be Mahomes, right? I mean, he was obviously... <laughs> fantastic I can't believe he's running this much or this well with the whole knee thing people are now calling him the best quarterback of all time the most gifted whatever they're saying is that hyperbole or do you think in this case it's justified I think it's a little bit hyperbole to kind of already be at that point but I don't think it's hyperbole to look at the Look at what he's accomplished and say that he is on a career trajectory that we've never seen before. He doesn't turn 25 until September. So, like, week three of the NFL season, he already has one MVP, one 5,000-yard passing season, one 50-touchdown passing season, two ASC championship games appearance. They're going to the Super Bowl, and if this team wins, he's going to win Super Bowl MVP and have a ring, and he's not even 25. So I do think he's the most accomplished 24-year-old NFL player we've maybe ever seen, and I would say, find me someone in American sports who has accomplished this much pre-25. I mean, you're talking about Tiger Woods. You're talking about LeBron James. Like, there aren't many players in the history of American sports that you can say they've done X before 25, and that's greater than what Mahomes has accomplished. So I do think those things kind of put them in that conversation, and just from a physical standpoint, I don't really fault anybody if they say skill set-wise he's the best quarterback I've ever seen. Think about it. He's 24 years old, and we talk a lot about playoff experience and how you kind of got to grow into it, speaking to like someone like Lamar Jackson. Mahomes has never thrown a postseason interception. He has 11 touchdowns, zero interception, and like a 72% completion percentage. Like What he's doing in the NFL is just transcendent and something that we've never seen before. And then the last question I have, Carrington, uh, we talked with you throughout the season, ever since we've had this show, 50 years since Kansas City has made the Super Bowl. Can you try to put into words what this is like for those people right now, what Sunday was like, what the callers have been saying about this moment? I think it was probably as emotional as people thought it would be if you put it into the context of the AFC championship trophy is, is the Lamar Hunt trophy, and that's Clark Hunt's father, so he's the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, and seeing them win that and just decades of playoff disappointment, you have to think about it like this. They had been playing football at Arrowhead Stadium since 1972. Pre-Patrick Mahomes, they had only won two playoff games at Arrowhead. They've won three in the last two years with Mahomes. So I think a lot of it is the celebration of finally getting over the hump and finally going to the Super Bowl. I also think the next part of the celebration is we talk about franchise and elite-level quarterbacks. There's probably only three elite quarterbacks in the NFL, and there's probably only five franchise quarterbacks. 
The Chiefs appear to have won, and the AFC has been dominated so much by three individuals, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. Well, Brady's 43 years old, Peyton's doing nationwide commercials, and Ben is coming off a serious elbow injury. There's no one really stopping the Chiefs, at least that we see right now, that can stop them from going to three of the next five or four of the next eight. Like, Mahomes just seems to have that ability. And if you have Mahomes and Andy Reid, I think people are really excited about the one, but I think there's also the excitement for the future of we might keep going to these things. Thanks for taking all my hope away as a Denver Broncos fan, but I do agree with all of that sentiment. I feel like we are watching the making of the greatest of all time. And now Patrick Mahomes, the leading merchandise seller in the NFL for the first time since 2016. It's not a man named Tom Brady, another sign of the changing times. Chiefs a one-and-a-half-point favorite. 53-and-a-half is the over-under. But, Carrington, we're going to have a prop bet every day on this program as we sift through Super Bowl angles. Today's prop bet is this. Super Bowl MVP. First mention after getting the award. Now, it's obvious that Patrick Mahomes is the favorite to win the MVP. Chiefs being the favorite. Jimmy Garoppolo is the second favorite. Who does Patrick Mahomes mention first after winning the MVP? Teammates, God and religion, coach and or coaches or family. What's your bet? If it's Mahomes. I don't know enough about Jimmy G and his post-game press conferences to kind of answer it, at least if the San Francisco 49ers win. If the Chiefs win it, God is the overwhelming favorite for Patrick Mahomes. The overwhelming favorite. I thought you were going to say teammates because he always comes out, even when he was asked about arguably the greatest run in postseason history by a running back or a quarterback, that 27-yard touchdown with 23 seconds left. It was straight to the teammates. He goes God always in the postgame? I think he would go God in this because it would be like a, a, a momentous accomplishment. So I think he says God first, and then I instantly think he goes teammates. Like I would probably rank it God one, teammate slight 1B. Reed will certainly get mentioned, but he's not in the top one or two to me. Yeah, yeah, based on the video and the audio I've heard, he might want to go girlfriend one. That would be my <laughs> recommendation to him. He might want to She's go not- girlfriend one. What? What's the uh, What's the conversation? Is there any in Kansas City about his girlfriend and her videos, Carrington? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's certainly conversation about her. I think it's one of those things that because she's in Kansas City, it's like way more protective over her. I don't really care one way or the other about the videos. Like, I understand if you're 22, 23 years old and your boyfriend maybe is the most popular American athlete after LeBron James. Like, I understand being really excited about it. And I understand taking the videos. So the videos are kind of funny to me. And I think that sometimes in America, we like, whenever something is annoying, we just can't ignore it. And I think that's kind of what happens to her videos. Like, they're not that interesting to me, but they also aren't for me. So I don't follow her on Instagram. I don't follow her on Twitter. I only watch the videos that somebody asked me to watch. She is a fantastic follow on Instagram. Talking to Carrington Harris and Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City about the Chiefs Super Bowl against the Niners. But we started a debate last night. We didn't get or last week. We didn't get to finish it, Carrington. You knocked down one of the greatest sports films in history, Rocky IV. Rocky over Drago in Russia. Reiterate. 
your hatred for this movie. What's the problem with it? It's just one of the more overrated movies in American pop culture. Let's just go through the chronological order really quickly with Apollo Creed. So we don't really know anything about Apollo Creed's backstory when the movie starts. He just shows up. He's in this shirt and tie. He's kind of picking a champion. He's supposed to be Floyd Mayweather. He's undefeated. All right. They then pick Rocky. Rocky's fighting in the back halls of Philadelphia, fighting Spider Rico. Mickey won't even be his trainer. Mickey thinks he stinks. And then Rocky, through good American hard work, he gets up and he takes Floyd Mayweather the distance and then loses on a or, – or, uh, Apollo beats him on a split decision. Can you imagine Floyd Mayweather getting taken to a split decision from some random boxer that just got picked out of the club? It's okay. Rocky two. He gets knocked out by Rocky. We then fast forward to Rocky three. Apollo Creed doesn't fight. He's retired. He's kind of helped Rocky find the eye of the tiger. Rocky four. Apollo Creed is so arrogant. He thinks that after years of retirement, he can come back and fight this Russian. He then fights the Russian. He does his best Frank Clark impersonation is talking to everybody. He died in the first 10 minutes of the movie. He died in the movie. Then Rocky wants to avenge his friend. Adrian tells Rocky that he can't win. Rocky, he's down. He goes to Russia. It's cold. And then Adrian magically pops up and was like, oh, I want you to win. And then we get this training montage where Rocky's doing great American hard work, chopping logs and running through the snow, while Yvonne Drago, who's 6'7", 265, like Zion Williamson, is doping full of steroids and training with the best people that the world has to offer. And then they go to the fight, and Rocky, who is clearly – he, he clearly has the size disadvantage. He has the weight disadvantage. He has the reach disadvantage. He should have probably died, too, in the fight. But Ivan Drago, somehow he knocks him out in the fight. I don't understand how Rocky got all this strength from. And then Rocky, who can barely speak, then gives this impassioned speech. The movie's so ridiculous. Rocky three is better than Rocky four. Rocky two is better than Rocky four. Rocky one might be the best sports movie of all time. Creed 1 is better than Rocky 4. Not Creed 2, but Rocky 4 is by far the most overrated movie in the series. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This week is the Pro Bowl, as you know. Whether you're watching it or not, it is a draft format. They pick the best players, who they roll in with in that well, somewhat watchable NFL game. So we decided we would draft our own teams if we're rolling to Vegas or if we're rolling to South Beach for the Super Bowl. One from every sport, an actor, a musician, a coach, and even a miscellaneous athlete to round out our Pro Bowl team. And Ross Tucker, I'll give you the first round pick. 
And let's start in the NFL, since that's where we are. One NFL player you want to roll with, you want in your crew, whether it's Vegas or South Beach. Well, there is a bunch of NFL guys I could go with because I I know a lot of these guys. Uh, but the guy I'd love to hang with just because he's awesome and I'm already kind of friends with him is Ryan Fitzpatrick because he's <laughs> hilarious. We would have a blast. It would be amazing. No, you stole my choice. You know Ryan Fitzpatrick is my favorite NFL player. You had to know I would pick Fitz. I shouldn't have given you the first pick. And, you know and what? I, got a lot I, thought, of- I, I thought there was a pretty good chance you would pick him, but I still wanted to pick him. There's a lot of guys. I could do another Harvard guy. Kyle Juszczyk is awesome. Uh, yeah. Jason Kelsey, I think, would be up there. I'd love to hang out with Jason Kelsey. That would be cool. There's a bunch of guys, but I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Uh, if I can't have Fitz, I'll go Jason Kelsey. No, no, you got him. You got Fitz. This is how the draft works. I got to go to my backup. My original thought went to Kettle or Kelsey, Kittle or Kelsey, because they just are awesome personas, fun dudes. But then I realized I'm a little bit older, and that's where I lean toward Ryan Fitzpatrick. I also like the unpredictable element of Ryan Fitzpatrick because you never know what's going to happen when he starts a game. And that's the kind of night I want in South Beach or Vegas. He kind of gives you that hangover element, like the bearded dude uh, Galifianakis down there and and the hangover that you never know. What's going to happen on a night with Ryan Fitzpatrick? At least that's my assumption. So I'll go to my backup, Jameis Winston. (laughs) He is also one of my favorite NFL players. Here's why Jameis Winston's my NFL player. Because any guy that's willing to throw that many interceptions, the first ever in the 30-30 club, ended his historic season with a pick six. I like a guy that I'm going to roll with that's willing to make mistakes. Now, granted, I'm pretending I'm single, okay? I'm pretending I'm single if I'm going to South Beach or Vegas and drafting this team. Jameis Winston is willing to throw a pick six anytime to get a better result. So that means he's going to be willing to strike out with like 40 girls before finding the right one. You need a guy who's willing to make big mistakes in order to seal the deal and get it done. So Jameis Winston gets the start for me. You want to go to baseball or to the NBA next and take your pick. You you're steering the ship and you get to go first this time because I got first pick last time. Done. We're going to baseball and my first pick and I only had one on this list and I know he's received a lot of shit And he should receive a lot of crap for not saying a word about the Houston Astros cheating scandal because he was arguably the most vocal of athletes before the stealing science scandal came out. I'm still taking Justin Verlander, and here's my reason why. Just in case the night doesn't go well in terms of our talents or Jameis Winston's ability at the bar, I want Justin Verlander there solely because, oh yeah, he's bringing Kate Upton. He, they're, they're inseparable. So you know whether you like it or not, he's bringing Kate Upton. And if Kate Upton is coming, she's bringing friends, Ross. If she's bringing friends, we're in good shape. I don't even need to go out. I don't even need to throw any stupid pickup lines at the bar because Kate Upton's friends, I will swing and miss all night long at the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue crew. So please bring friends, Kate, and Justin Verlander's on my squad. Baseball. 
I think it's a little weird that you want to bring out a guy who's going to bring his wife or girlfriend or whatever for your bro night. Uh, you you helped out a little bit friends. when, yeah, hot friends. I think you I think you you saved yourself there. Um, I don't know the baseball guys that well, but I like Mike Trout. I talked with Mike Trout once. Uh, we got a lot in common. He's an Eagles fan. He looks like a football player. He did serve his country by playing high school football. Um, I like that he looks like a safety or a linebacker. I, I just feel like, but, and he's super duper rich, so he would pay for everything. And he's Mike Trout, so you would get whatever you want, but you wouldn't be inundated by people all up in your junk because people don't even know what he looks like. So he's like perfect. Like you could get, any VIP, any red carpet, anything you want, you're going to get. But you also aren't like just surrounded by people the whole time because a lot of people don't even know what Mike Trout looks like. He seems like a solid dude for a bro night. Solid dude, but the problem is he's not going to call ahead to the club and say, hey, I'm Mike Trout. Greatest player in the history of the game. Can you set up a little velvet rope action for us? That's Mike where Trout's I come not in. Do that. That's where I come in. I make that call. Oh, okay. Because uh, he'd wear a hat. This this is yeah. Ross Tucker. Uh, I'm I'm coming to the club with Mike Trout tonight. He's the greatest baseball player of all time. Can you guys set something up? Uh, I handle all advanced security for Mr. Trout. Oh, okay. We actually thought about Dave when we used to go to the beach. Uh, I, we, we call it a beach week with my buddies from high school after college when I was in the NFL. We thought about, and we should have done it, calling ahead to making sure they had something sectioned off and acting like I was a bigger deal than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you try that in South Beach next week. So solid choice, Mike Trout. I just think he wants to fly too under the radar doesn't seem like a big party dude. Really a dude you just want to go have a beer with? He's top five on my list. I had one of the baseball player because I think Pete Alonso is freaking awesome. New York Mets, young slugger, chicks dig the long ball, and that dude is just freaking cool. To the NBA we go. Who is your number one pick? It's back to you. One NBA player who's rolling with you. Yeah, this is pretty easy for me, and this is Zion. Uh, Zion, I love the way he looks. I love his personality. Um, he would definitely be good with the younger ladies. That's for sure. Whatever generation that is. Plus, I'd really like to get my social media following up among young people. And nobody would be better than Zion. I think it'd just be fun to see what it's like to be with like a 19-year-old mega celebrity like that on a night out. That's a fantastic choice, much better than your baseball choice. I had a lot of names pop in and out of my head here, and one was because the news. In the news, James Harden was one for 17 from three-point range last night. One for fucking 17. Is there anything in life you would do 17 times if it's going that poorly for you. Most of us know it's not our night. It's not our day. It's not our week. We usually stop doing whatever it is we're failing at over and over again, but not James Harden. And that's why initially he was my answer. Because again, I want a guy who's willing to take a lot of shots, even if it's just to make one. That's a dude you need in your crew. But then I remembered that Reddit story, that guest we had on Home and Home. 
James Harden is a huge strip club guy. I am not. I do not want to roll to the strip clubs with James Harden, so he's off my list. Sorry, Beard. Joel Embiid is my pick because Joel Embiid is social media savvy. He is a blast in terms of his personality, and he has outsized confidence. He has the confidence of the greatest of all time, but he's not. So Joel Embiid is my pick. I need a dude with huge confidence. LeBron should be on the list only because you're going to get everything free. And this year, leading the league in assists. So he's willing to take a step back from the scoring and help you score. So maybe LeBron is a better choice than Embiid as I waffle back and forth. All right, to music we go. One musician. This was my hardest category. You go first in this one, actually, but this is my this is my worst category. This I did not have to think a second about. Justin Timberlake, baby. Justin Timberlake. I just feel like we could be friends, man. I feel like we we would be friends if we hung out together, right? No, we wouldn't. Do you but know, I'm deranged do you know, enough I, to think that. Do you know, Dave? I had the opportunity to hang out with Justin Timberlake, and I turned it down. That is just sad. That is just sad. He is easily number one coolest guy in all all of music. Um, I just want to be near him. I just want to stand back and watch what happens when he walks into right. a club. So here's Plus, I think the deal. We'd have fun here's the a- deal. Yep. We don't have enough time now, but we'll no. put that on the list. Millennials, put that on the list. I will tell the story of when I turned down the opportunity to hang out with Justin Timberlake at another day. I don't feel great about my musician. This is the one that I I knew the least about. Um, I went with Post Malone because he's really popular right now. I really like his music. And I've always kind of want to hang out with a guy with face tattoos. You know what I mean? Like, I just think I never really hung out with face tattoo guy before. I'd like to hang out with face tattoo guy and just ask him, like, what the thought process was there. And I just feel like, you know, for that night, I'd be going a different angle, be be acting a little bit different, be acting a little hard. I'm out with Post Malone. That would just be a different night than like the uh, the Mike Trout night. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that would add the element of unpredictability that I like to have in my crew. But I feel like that unpredictability could end badly for me. I'm not that risky a guy, so I don't know how that one can end. We've got a lot more picks. We've got actor. We've got miscellaneous character. Real quickly, can we get your coach of your squad? Yeah, this was tough. There's a lot I could have gone with. I went with Andy Reid because he's awesome, and it would be hilarious to go out one night with Andy Reid. I know this much. We would have an awesome, awesome meal And then seeing Andy Reid late night would be hilarious. That's an awesome choice. Plus, he's going to rock a Hawaiian shirt, which you know makes me happy. My coach is easily Doc Rivers. One, my team is looking, you know, it it, it needs a real, a guy that can manage different personalities. Doc Rivers does that very well. Blends together different egos, different personalities. He knows how to manage that Boston Celtics team with the big three. He's done it out there with the Clippers knows how to meld different egos and get us along the right path. Doc Rivers is my coach. Still miscellaneous character, still an actor to complete our squads. And I would add one hockey player to my squad, but I know you're not a huge hockey guy. We'll get to all of that later in the program. 
We welcome in Kevin Armstrong, one of the producers of Killer Inside, the mind of Aaron Hernandez. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us here on Home and Home. Bravo. It is outstanding work. I can't get enough of it. And what makes it so good, Kevin, my wife doesn't really remember Aaron Hernandez, the player, doesn't watch a lot of football, cannot stop watching this documentary. So it's not just for sports fans. It's an incredible piece of storytelling. What's been the reaction? It's been quite a world the last five days. You know, it's not a week until Wednesday. And uh, for us to, you know, a project that we worked on for three years, a story that I reported for seven years, essentially, it's been, you know, pretty impressive to see the reach and uh, the feedback that we're getting from people, just understanding how much of the story uh, I think the national audience did not know. Obviously, Boston was pretty saturated with the story, but uh, there's a lot of people just learning about a number of things that went on here. To me, the most gripping aspect of the documentary is the prison phone calls to his girlfriend, with his mom, to his friend who lied for him on the on the stand, to Pouncey, another NBA uh, NFL player they talked about their college days. How did you get access to those prison phone calls? Yeah, it's the Freedom of Information Act. You know, it's a waiting game. Mm. You, you file it to uh, the authorities and the state and the corrections folks and whatnot. And uh, you know, generally those calls aren't made public until after someone is deceased or has left uh, prison. Obviously, Aaron, uh, you know, killed himself in jail while serving a life sentence, even though just a week earlier he had been acquitted in a double homicide case. So, uh, you know, the unfiltered voice and really for him to, you know, being honest with his mother, with his sister, but his fiance. Uh, that's a whole dynamic that, you know, we wanted to explore. And, you know, he's even speaking with his agent at one point about possibly getting a Smith and Wesson endorsement deal. And, you know, these are the conversations that somebody who's very comfortable in prison, you know, there's a warning on each of the phone calls, let alone next to the phone that, you know, the government is recording these conversations, but clearly Aaron felt, you know, uh, comfortable enough in prison to, uh, continue to elaborate on a lot of different uh, subjects. So my question is, you know, getting back to the three one hour uh, portions of it, how much footage do you guys have? You said three years, like how much time and footage goes into having three one hour uh, programs? A significant amount. You know, I I traveled for this case alone. You know, I traveled to Florida, Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, you know, Boston and Massachusetts as a whole, all over the place. You know, I I covered him, you know, as a Patriot when he was in the NFL. Remember the Super Bowl catch that, you know, I was there when he caught it from Brady and whatnot. So, you know, I knew Aaron Hernandez, the singular talent in terms of, you know, as a reporter. And then when we saw the case and covering both of the trials, there's just so much more to explore. Family dynamics, you know, what led to someone who had a $40 million contract to throw it all away. Literally, all he had to do in life was not kill somebody. And he wound up being accused of three murders. Talking to Kevin Armstrong, one of the producers of Killer Inside, the mind of Aaron Hernandez. It explores all aspects of this, including how this was arguably the dumbest crime we have ever seen in terms of the evidence, in terms of the path leading directly to Aaron Hernandez's door, literally and figuratively. When, in your sense, did Aaron Hernandez 
turn bad? And how much did the Patriots turn a blind eye to? Yeah, I think there's a major pivot in his life when his father dies. He's still in high school. He's headed to UConn is the understanding. Uh, you know, everything changes in kind of his junior, senior year of high school there after his father dies. And he winds up going to Florida. Very competitive atmosphere. He's the Connecticut kid who comes down there. He's got to prove himself in the SEC. And, you know, it's kind of a cauldron down there at that time, too. You know, Urban's very aggressive, very, you know, wants to. Uh, titles and everything. And, you know, here's a guy who's trying to find himself. His father's gone. You know, he, he wants to establish this reputation, you know, uh, of being tough amongst these guys. And if you remember, you know, the Gainesville years with Urban Meyer, there was a lot of, you know, issues, a lot of arrests and whatnot. So, you know, he's around a different element there. And uh, where Urban says that he was, you know, scared when or, you know, took note of when Aaron went back to Bristol, Connecticut. So there's, you know, some discrepancy there in terms of finger pointing, whether, you know, the hometown or the college town, whatever kind of, you know, led him to uh, this path. But clearly, you know, Aaron had multiple decisions to make in his life and he chose the wrong one a lot. Kevin, it sounds to me like one of the biggest revelations from the documentary, at least things that people are talking about, is the stuff with Aaron Hernandez's sexuality. What did you find in that regard and what's been the feedback and response to that? Yeah, you know, uh, earlier stories had explored it to some degree. The Boston Globe had, uh, you know, initially spoken with a high school teammate who said he had a sexual relationship with Aaron Hernandez. And we spoke with him as well, Dennis Sansucci. Uh, we spoke with his father and you know, we spoke with uh, Ryan O'Callaghan, a uh, former Patriot himself who did not play with Aaron, but certainly knows the culture of the New England Patriots locker room and the organization. So uh, we wanted to apply as much perspective and context as we could in terms of explaining, you know, it's 2020. There's a lot of issues in, uh, being discussed about sexuality, and especially in sports at this point. And we just tried to bring a lot of perspective to, you know, what had been a uh, a discussion that really took place in newsrooms uh, throughout his investigations and trials. It's just a matter of how to handle it. And we, we believe we you know did so with care. Talking to Kevin Armstrong, one of the producers of Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez, the fantastic documentary on Netflix. You knew that there would come some criticism. And Jose Baez is the attorney for the late Aaron Hernandez. He said on Instagram, quote, these producers lie directly to my face, so I don't expect their money-making scheme to be much better. He suggested that CTE had everything to do with the death of Aaron Hernandez and the man he become in those latter years that had nothing to do with his sexuality, adding, quote, they are not even close to the truth. Kevin, what's your reaction to Jose Baez? We appreciated sitting down with Jose. Obviously, uh, Dan Wetzel and I, uh, who executive produced it, we covered the trials for uh, myself for the New York Daily News, Dan for Yahoo Sports. We know he's a very aggressive, very you know solid attorney, Casey Anthony. He's known in terms of a few cases now where he's gained acquittals uh, from juries. And when he sat with, down with us, we appreciated the perspective. He offered us an inside look at really some of the decision making that uh, Aaron Hernandez's defense team made. And, you know, 
obviously he has some differences in terms of uh, what we chose to present in terms of the docu docuseries. But in all, you know, I don't think anybody knows what exactly led Aaron Hernandez to make the decisions that he made. And our job was to present everything that was available to us. And we believe that we accomplished that with the presentation that we made. Kevin, what's been the, the, the biggest reaction response that you guys have gotten in general so far? How much of it's been positive? How much has been negative? Yeah, I, I think it's been overwhelmingly positive. I think that there are people who appreciate the story, uh, you know, from the victim's point of view. Uh, we took, you know, great care to tell Odin Lloyd's story because we believe that, you know, Aaron Hernandez's story might be the headline and the title of the piece, but clearly there were a number of lives that were affected by him. And the same goes for Daniel De Abreu and Safiro Furtado. Aaron was acquitted of their uh, being involved with their homicides or being char the charges that he faced, but still. You know, those families came to the courtrooms each day and really, you know, were waiting for, you know, some kind of uh, conclusion themselves. So I think that, you know, really, you know, it's only been five, six days since the uh, start streaming on Netflix and we couldn't be happier in terms of the reaction. Uh, you know, there's conversation driven by this and we hope that a lot of people learn uh, not only from Aaron's story, but from uh, those who were involved in his cases as well. Tremendous detail about Odin Lloyd's life. You hear from his former teammate. He played uh, semi-professional football, but essentially they paid to play football, which really tells another side of Odin Lloyd. Talking to Kevin Armstrong about Killer Inside, the mind of Aaron Hernandez. What do you want viewers to take away from the story of Aaron? And do you feel, Kevin, that there's another chapter to the story as related to the CTE? Yeah, you know, I, I think we took pride in providing panoramic reporting. We were willing to speak to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And we really, you know, put the resources into that. We we did exhaustive, uh, you know, research to understand Aaron's life in whole. He was only 27 when he died. He was 23 when he was arrested. So, you know, there, there was so much more life for him to live. And, you know, understanding his family and obviously CT is part of that. Uh, Boston University, Anne McKee, the great uh, neuropathologist, has clearly, you know, said he was stage three CTE and, you know, the worst case for somebody that age at that point. So, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion to be had. Aaron played in the NFL for three years, three years at the University of Florida, high level football. A lot of people played at that level and don't make the decisions that Aaron made in terms of the criminal activity. So, there, there was a criminal mind to really break down and understand as well, not just the singular talent that Patriot fans celebrated for the time that he was there. Uh, his girlfriend his, uh, has said she wants privacy on Instagram. Kevin, have you heard from friends, family members, their reaction to seeing the documentary? You know, I've heard from people in Bristol. I can't say that we've heard from the Hernandez family uh, in particular. But, uh, you know, definitely friends and family, both those who cooperated with the film and those who, you know, informed us off camera as well. So, you know, there was plenty of, uh, you know, institutional knowledge heading into the film process. Uh, Dan and I both covered it pretty thoroughly as journalists. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of uh, wanted to bring everybody into the project that was willing to speak with us, including Jose Baez, uh, who we appreciated uh, him sitting down with us. 
Outstanding. And final question is there's a lot of people that wonder of that $40 million contract that Aaron signed, are we aware of how much uh, Hernandez actually earned and what was left of the estate at the time of his death? Yeah, you know, I, I think those numbers aren't, they're going to be hard to tell, you know, unless his agent, you know, speaks to it. Uh, you know, obviously the, the number that's always assigned to Aaron is that it was a five-year extension for $40 million. And, you know, that came you know, shortly before everything transpired in terms of the criminal, uh, you know, accusations and whatnot, there was about a year of that that he actually played. So, um, you know, the Patriots are, you know, an organization that, you know, is not going to just hand over money. And, uh, you know, there have been court, uh, you know, hearings and discussions over the years and whatnot. But um, at the end of the day, Aaron, you know, died when he died, uh, his conviction was originally vacated but then it was reinstated. So he is, you know, officially convicted of killing Odin Lloyd and, you know, served a life sentence at the time of his uh, suicide. So that money is going to be very difficult, if even possible, to get uh, at this point from the Patriots. Hey, everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.